my time at Geneva was definitely like a, the most formative four years of my life. Um, it flips my idea of congregational worship on its head. Mm-hmm. What I once viewed as being a like personal moment between me and God, turn the lights off, ignore everybody around me. Like this is my time to worship with my savior. Yeah, That totally got flipped on its head to a very much more reformed view of worship mm-hmm. being that Colossians 3.16 calling that we have to address one another mm-hmm. through singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Mm-hmm. Welcome back to another episode of Hymn Partial, the podcast where we talk all things church music. I'm Cara Devereaux. And I'm Monet Funka. And today we'll be interviewing a very special guest, Mr. Matthew David Montgomery from the Psalms for Singing album. We're really excited. We think you'll really enjoy the interview, but you have to stick around to hear more. First, if you are listening on YouTube, hit subscribe and ring the bell so that you're notified when we drop a new episode. We're also available anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to leave us a five-star review, we will thank you very much. But the best way of all to keep in touch is by heading over to himpartial.com and signing up for our free weekly newsletter. The newsletter is great fun. It not only um, lets you know about the new episodes, but it contains bonus content you will not find anywhere else. Our next guest is a musician and recording artist whose aim is to serve the church by writing original songs informed by Reformed theology and by equipping congregants to sing scripture. He is joining us today from Nashville, Tennessee, where he and his wife currently reside. Here to talk to us about his latest project, Psalms for Singing, Matthew David Montgomery, welcome to the show. Cara, Monet, it's great to be with you both. Yeah, um, we're really excited to talk to you. Uh, we did an episode, we did two episodes a while back on exclusive psalmody, and then we discovered your work, and we were like, ooh, we should definitely have you on the show. Yes. Um, so to begin with, um, how, when and how did you become a Christian, and um, did you grow up in the church? Sure. Um, so I grew up, I say nominally, Presbyterian. Um, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, and it was in a small country church that my parents attended regularly um, and were members at. So my brother and I both were sort of raised up in the Christian faith. And I say nominally Presbyterian because it was sort of a mishmash of denomination influence, not denominational influence, mm-hmm. sort of like Presba, Baptocostal stuff. <laughs> Just because it was in the middle of nowhere and you know how that goes. So yeah. yeah. Um, I grew up believing everything that I was taught about scripture, um, which was solid for the most part. It mm-hmm. was in a PCUSA church, which is the mainline denomination. Mm-hmm. Um, and about probably 10 years ago, my home church that I was still a member at at the time um, split off from the mainline Presbyterian church and okay. went EPC, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, okay. that um, more vehement, more clearly um, subscribed to scripture as being the ultimate authority. Yeah. Okay. Um, so long story short, grew up in this sort of mishmash of Presbyterianism. Um, and yeah, I, I remember being a believer as long as I can remember back, but definitely there was a season of my life in early high school that I really realized the magnitude of my own sinfulness and my need Mm. for a savior. So Mm. I look back to that season of life as being, um, the definitive moment of when I really came to Christ wow. and the Lord saved me. Wow. That's really awesome. Um, I, I kind of know what you mean about the, was it Presbo Baptic 
What did you say? That was a great. The, the Gap the Con story. Yeah, yes. yeah. It does happen. I mean, it happens a lot in Scotland, actually, yeah. uh, because um, there's there's not a ton of people in this country, but there's there's enough. Uh, but we're kind of spread out, and so you might find like the only solid church in a village, you know, thirty miles from the city is kind of a hodgepodge of things. Mm. But unfortunately, it's usually not as solid theologically or scripturally sure. based so uh so we do know what you're talking about at least from from the context of, of scotland where where we currently are so can you describe your history uh like with church music specifically and when you were f- first exposed to it and kind of how you developed from there sure yeah so um growing up in this small country church um bethel epc um it was mostly hymns and mostly organ and piano led. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I remember when I was a kid, probably around seven years old, someone stood up, a church member that um, was known to be like the local musician. He played keyboard, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely not like the traditional like piano type stuff. Yeah. And he stood up one morning in Sunday worship and he said, um, I'd like to make an announcement. We're trying to put together a praise band. Mm-hmm. And I was seven. I didn't play anything. But my dad had played drums in high school really? and had, hadn't touched them for probably 30 years. Wow. Um, and somehow word got around that he used to play the drums and they mm-hmm. roped him into that. And so <laughs> they started once a month leading like a contemporary worship ah. service. Um, and then so it would be mostly hymns and organ. And then one Sunday would be like Chris Tomlin and yeah. whatever other <laughs> early 2000s worship stuff was yeah. happening. Hand-raising um, Sunday. That's what they called it. No, just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I grew up in, again, sort of a mishmash of, yeah. like, the traditional stuff and the quote-unquote contemporary stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, ended up picking up guitar and drums when I was 10 years old and wow. pretty quickly got involved with um, helping lead worship in whatever context I could at my own church and some other local churches. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't until, so I I mentioned that season of early high school where I really came to Christ and the Lord saved me. Mm -hmm. It was also around that time where I'm like trying to figure out what I want to do with my life, what goal I want to sort of, what trajectory I want to. I want to be on. And I really felt the Lord calling me to go into some form of using my musical gifts to serve Mm -hmm. the church. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what that looked like at that point, Mm -hmm. but pretty much the only thing that I could imagine was I don't play piano and organ. I can't be in a like traditional church like Mm -hmm. I'm used to. Mm -hmm. I play guitar. So Mm -hmm. I see some of these churches that have like the whole hazers and lasers, Mm -hmm. like total rock concert set up. <laughs> and I thought, that's what I'm going to do. So throughout all of high school, that's what I thought I was going to end up at. I was planning to attend a university that had like a worship major that would <laughs> like equip you to do all of that stuff. Uh-huh. And providentially, I ended up for financial reasons and just because it was really close to home at Geneva College, which is a Um, college that's affiliated with the RPCNA, the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America. Mm -hmm. And they are known for exclusively singing the Psalms, acapella. I had no idea that was the case (laughs) until I got there. So I, I remember my first chapel service, I showed up and 
there was music happening, but it was all acapella. There was mm-hmm. no instruments. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's, this is interesting. Maybe yeah. they're just doing like a, an acapella week or something. <laughs> so I emailed the chaplain and I said, hey, I just wanted to let you know I play guitar um, and I would love to help out with worship if you would have me. And he very kindly responded with a, we don't do that here type email. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so I was totally blown away. I'd never heard of that yeah. as being like a a worship style. Mm -hmm. And long story short, um, my time at Geneva was definitely like the most formative four years of my life. Um, It flips my idea of congregational worship on its head. Mm -hmm. What I once viewed as being a like personal moment between me and God, turn the lights off, ignore everybody around me. Like this is my time to worship with my savior. Yeah, That totally got flipped on its head to a very much more reformed view of worship mm-hmm. being that Colossians 3.16 calling that we have to address one another mm-hmm. through singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Mm-hmm. And they almost convinced me at Geneva <laughs> of the exclusive psalmody argument. <laughs> I came out on the other side of it an inclusive psalmist. So yeah. I mm-hmm. think that we should be singing more psalms in our worship services. Yeah. Um, and I've definitely seen the benefits of that. I memorized more scripture during those four years singing in an acapella choir and a small touring group that went around to um, reformed churches in the United States and sang psalms. Mm-hmm. That s- setting scripture to music is the ultimate tool for mm. yeah. remembering it yes. and etching it on our hearts. So I'm thankful for that season. That's so interesting. Like there are some really good arguments for exclusive psalmody. There are none that personally convince me, but I'm kind of like, yes, it's definitely made me value the psalms more. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as well, sometimes the acapella, like stripping your music right back to just vocals can help you kind of focus a bit more on, you know, the actual act of worship Mm -hmm. than what's like going on with lights and music and stuff. Sure. And even as a musician, I find myself so distracted sometimes walking into a church it's like you're just evaluating what's going on musically rather than participating in the actual worship yeah um so stripping that all away during my college years was really really helpful Mm -hmm. and it really made me rethink the role that instruments and these circumstances of worship have so Mm -hmm. according to the regulative principle of worship we're only to do in lord's day worship what is commanded in scripture Mm -hmm. and I think that just like a pitch pipe can be a tool that helps a congregation sing, mm-hmm. I view instruments as being a circumstance, not an element of worship. So I yeah. still feel like I can, in good conscience, lead worship with a guitar mm-hmm. or a piano because yeah. it can abide by the regulative principle in that mm-hmm. regard. Mm-hmm. Some would argue against that. <laughs> no, I totally, I totally agree with that. And what you said there a bit ago about um like music being such an effective tool for memorizing scripture. This is, this has been my experience for sure. Um, I think too, there are, there are those of us who can sing a song from like 1991. Actually, I don't know if either of you were born then. Uh, but, (laughs) but, um, but if you tell us to recite something that we read yesterday, we'd be like, uh, you know, Mm. and it's just that our minds work, in a way that it helps us to memorize things. And I think Mm. also, and we'll get to this in future episodes, you know, this is why we use songs for teaching children because it really is such a great, a great tool. In fact, even, um, which we will talk about very, very soon. um, This was how like John Newton started 
um, kind of promoting hymns within his church. At first it was towards the children. Um, it was like, Oh, let me write some hymns for the children to learn Mm -hmm. so they could start to memorize these kind of, uh, biblical passages or these concepts that are in the Bible. And then it, it graduated to the big, (laughs) to big church. (laughs) So, uh, definitely agree with you there. Um, and I think too, we have to be careful not to have, you said something there about regulative principle in terms of the instruments being just kind of a tool to help us, you know, in our singing. And I think that's a good way to view it. Um, in a sense, because I I do, I do, I don't know, you might disagree with me on this Cara, and you might disagree with me on this too, uh, Matthew, but I think music is such a beautiful thing you know like I I could listen to instrumental music just all day long you know like because I love the way that musicians have composed like you know even think about the great composers of like Mm. you know the renaissance or whatever you know they they obviously don't have lyrics to their songs um yet they're so moving in 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 how they've decided to arrange these instruments and so I do think like the most beautiful things on this planet should be for God, you know, like, yeah. uh, mm. but when we're, t- when we're coming to worship, it shouldn't be oh, like divorced from the worshiper, you know, it shouldn't yeah. just be like, Oh, here's some nice music. Let's all listen to it. It should be like you said, like this, this congregational thing that we're all coming together in order to worship our God. And it, if the music's too distracting, then it could be taking away from that. It is something like I say to my musical friends, if they're asked to play in church, um, and they're nervous, I usually say to them, like, this is not a performance. You don't have to be nervous about this because what you're doing is you're helping people to worship. Mm -hmm. Like you're carrying the tune in order to help people to worship. Mm -hmm. You're not performing. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to be this perfect, like I'm in front of everyone thing. In reality, music shouldn't even really be something that you're thinking about as you're singing. Like consciously, you shouldn't be like, oh, that's a great piano. (laughs) Like you should just be like, yes, I'm worshiping God. I don't know. Yeah. 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 So yeah, you I read a fascinating article um, about the history of church choirs, and I can't remember where I read it, but I would definitely recommend finding it. I'll try to <laughs> dig it up and send you guys the link. Yes. But um, it talks about how historically um, there were these teachings, like singing teaching schools in early American history um, that people banded together and just started to learn hymn tunes because they wanted the church to be able to sing better. Mm-hmm. So if a church was trying to learn out of a hymnal and then no one knew how to read music, it was pretty hard to do. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. some church members would get together and start learning and then they became the church choir. And mm-hmm. it was literally just a very practical way of equipping the church to mm-hmm. sing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then slowly over time it became, oh, well, we should sing this old Bach piece or yeah. we should do this old Renaissance work or mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. just things that people wanted to do mm-hmm. that should have been done at the concert hall and mm-hmm. not on yeah. Sunday morning yeah. but it just started to slowly seep into that and mm-hmm. then like you said before like there's beauty in music that can be appreciated mm-hmm. but there's a very distinct difference when we gather on Sunday mornings yeah. um to worship on Sunday evenings if you're into yes. that if yes. you're in the reformed camp that has mm-hmm. evening services as well mm-hmm. um but it shouldn't look like a concert. And that's yeah. not even to say like a rock concert. It's to say even a traditional choral concert, yeah, yeah, any yeah. of it can become an idol. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's not a recital. It's not a, a concert. Um, yeah. 
I lost my train of thought there. I was going to say something. And now I'm like, <laughs> nope, I don't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> well, I will, I'll tell I'll steal the show as usual. Um, tell us a bit about your work. So obviously we talked about your history and your background. Um, what in start, what inspired you to start this, uh, Psalms for singing? Mm-hmm. Um, I call it a project, but it's an album and it, it's really quite good. What kind of inspired you to get, get this going and, 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 and how did you come to this decision? Yeah. So, <laughs> What inspired the Psalms for Singing project is I had so many of these psalm tunes in my head, um, graduating from Geneva and having learned them for choir and for worship services. And there was an RPCNA church that I attended during college. Um, I took a call at a Presbyterian church in Pittsburgh as the music minister, and I tried to incorporate some of these psalm tunes that I had already known and found to be so helpful. And I just realized that a lot of other churches might find resources helpful, that it's just a simplification Mm -hmm. of these four-part acapella charts Mm -hmm. into something that's a little bit more useful for a church that uses piano and guitar or whatever instruments. So I started in the Psalter just penciling in chords and giving them to our accompanist, and we would lead those with guitar and piano. And in conversation with Crown and Covenant Publications, we decided it would be helpful for other churches to be able to use that resource as well. Mm-hmm. So um, they gave me the go ahead to start making those charts and mm-hmm. uh, distributing them. So yeah. along with that resource, I wanted to make a record of them so yeah. that people mm-hmm. would have an example in their heads of, yeah. here's a way that we can pull this off musically, just yeah. as a sort of springboard. It doesn't have to be done like the record. but. Yeah. Yeah, I loved, I saw on your YouTube channel that you had um, tutorials um, for various hymn tunes. And although I'm not smart enough to play anything with more than four strings, um, (laughs) I did think, oh, that's really good. Because if people, you know, struggle to read music, then they can go and they can watch the video and they can um, still learn to play these tunes. And I think like... And that's the great part of recorded music um, that we haven't as the church always had the, the tool of having, um, is you don't have to read a chart. You can just be able to know chord shapes and mm-hmm. be able to listen to a tune and get it in your head yeah. and then go from there. Yeah, I think it's really useful. Yeah. Um, and I think it's useful because there are some churches that maybe haven't sung psalms as much and don't really know where to begin. And so having things like that is useful. Mm-hmm. Um, but on that thought, why should we be singing psalms today? Great question. So in Colossians 3.16, we read Paul telling um, the church in Colossae to address one another, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Mm-hmm. And this is given as practical advice by him to combat false theology that was being taught. Mm-hmm. So he was saying there's false gospels being preached. Yeah. You need to be singing the word. And Mm -hmm. we see this in church history, too. Martin Luther knew during the Reformation that if he could get the congregants to sing scripture, that they would be memorizing it. Mm -hmm. So Paul's instructing us to do that. We see this being put into place throughout church history Mm -hmm. during very formative times. Mm -hmm. And I've seen this in my own life, and I've talked to so many other people that have sung the Psalms that just feel that it's the best way to memorize scripture. And set it to something that's emotionally memorable Mm -hmm. and um, really hits our affections and not just um, our minds because theology is more than just a conceptual understanding. It's, it is a motive. It should move us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And music helps to do that. 
So I think we should be singing the Psalms to memorize scripture and then also to live into that call to address one another, to remind one another of the truths of scripture on Mm -hmm. Sunday mornings Mm -hmm. when we're singing. It's not just this me and God moment. It's Mm -hmm. addressing the person to your left and right Mm -hmm. that may have had a horrible week, may have had a great week, but Mm -hmm. they need the gospel as much as you do. Mm -hmm. And we get to be participants. It's not just the pastor that's administering the... um, Ordinary means of grace. That's the word, Mm -hmm. the phrase Mm -hmm. I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. It's administering the ordinary means of grace. We all get to be participants Mm -hmm. in the priesthood of all believers doing that. Yeah, it's so it's so true. I think um, historically, obviously, there was such a there was such a what is the word I'm looking for campaign against him singing, especially in our country. And so there's actions and overreactions. Uh, and I think maybe the modern church has overreacted and basically made psalm singing seem like a weird, like old thing that you would do oh. if you were only like, you know, stuck in your traditions or whatever. But really, there is a balance. There's such beauty in modern hymns or not so modern hymns, but also, you know, the scripture is it's the OG. It's the original. You know, you can't get yeah. any better than the word of God. So. There, there has to be a balance, I think, providing tools like how you have has given more modern day, you know, churches that kind of encouragement to sing psalms and hymns. I do have a tangential question. Is that the right word? Tan- tangent question for you, <laughs> which is that um, that probably the most popular hymnal here, hymnal, psalm book. Psalter. Here, Psalter, that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The most popular Psalter here would probably be the 1650 which being from 1650 isn't always the easiest to get your mouth around the words. So I was wondering um, whether there's a Psalter that you would recommend for people who maybe would like to start singing Psalms, but need it in simpler, moderner English. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, So the Book of Psalms for Worship from Crown and Covenant Publications is my favorite. It was published in 2009, and it was sort of um, the updated version of their 1973 Psalter, which is the Book of Psalms for singing. So Mm -hmm. there's the red Psalter, there's the blue Psalter. These are the two most common RPCNA ones that you'll see in their their pews. Yeah. Um, Some people in the denomination, I'm told, were up in arms that they dared update this one. Mm -hmm. But um, in 1973, it still has a little bit of like King James English in it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is by and large very understandable and very helpful. I prefer some of the versifications Mm -hmm. in the red Psalter. Um, Mm -hmm. So on my record... Psalm 73C, I used the text from the red Psalter rather than the blue Psalter, Mm -hmm. but the rest is from this one in 2009, and it's their sort of like modernized, like sort of NIV style, like very preachable, very readable. Um, And I would definitely recommend this one because, um, not to get all seminary terminology on your (laughs) listeners, but um, there's formative... not formative, functional translations of the Bible. And then there's, um, what's the other word I'm looking for? Functional and formal equivalent. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. So formal equivalent being very true to a thought by thought basis and functional being very easy to read, very understandable. So if there's a weird Hebrew thing or whatever language, Greek, um, 
it's translated to be more palatable in English. Yeah. Um, I think that the blue Psalter is very formal equivalent. It's very much true to the original text. Yeah. Okay. But it's still palatable. It's still poetically beautiful yeah. by and large. Okay. There's a few clunky tunes in it like there are in any Psalter. Yeah. yeah. But um, I think it's very singable. I think mm. that the texts are very true to the original. It, mm. You can set it next to an ESV Bible and really see yeah. line by line each thought. So that can't be said about every Psalter. Some of them are a little bit more um, functionally equivalent. So a lot of people will say like, oh, I love listening to the Psalms like Shane and Shane's, which (laughs) I love Shane and Shane. Don't get me wrong here. But if you listen to the texts of those records that they do, the Psalms ones, it's like you can hear some Psalm inspiration happening, but it's definitely not like Psalm 2 verbatim. Yeah, exactly. So I think there's a, those are, again, those are helpful tools as well, but yeah. there's a, a balance, setting, isn't there? Yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. There, there has to be a balance or else. Yeah. You'll get, you'll get folks that are very strongly in two camps in the two camps. And I think I'm pretty much always in the middle, not to sound too politically correct, but um, I think things should be easy to sing and under understand mm-hmm. though. There is something quite, I don't want to say romantic, I don't mean that in the rom-com way about some of the old English. Um, and I think it does. It has a sound. weight to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do like that. So this is going to be our maybe hardest question followed by our second hardest question. Yeah, probably. Hardest question for you. What's your favorite psalm? Maybe even asterisks, what's your favorite psalm to sing? Mm-hmm. I've got to say the one that I just mentioned, 73C, is Mm -hmm. one of my favorites, Um, partly because during the my time in college, when I was in a little touring group called New Song, it's just nine members, two people on each part, and then one accompanist for some songs. Mm -hmm. Um, We sang Psalm 73C at every church that we sang at, Mm -hmm. and um, it was during a time where I was going through a lot of grief. My grandfather, who I was very close with, passed away. And just Mm -hmm. being reminded that um, our eyes are fixed upon something that is greater. And there's Mm -hmm. none none on earth we long to know compared to God. Mm -hmm. Um, And that just really helped me get through that Mm -hmm. season of life. Um, My favorite one out of the blue Psalter (laughs) is probably 16D. Um, Yes, you have a recording. on the record as well. Yes. We were talking about this last night, this song. <laughs> yeah, this one's on YouTube. Um, we can link it, actually. Yeah, we'll link it listeners. if you're listening. You definitely should go yeah, take a listen. That'd be great. And uh, my buddy Jeremy Casella, who um, I should connect you guys with, because he would be a great person to talk with about hymns in the modern church. He came out of a, a movement called Indelible Grace. Yes. Um, that's like a hymn singing movement. Yeah. yeah. They started, I think, in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, featured him. He happened to be in town in Pittsburgh while I was recording nice. that record. And I brought him to an RP church, um, College Hill, RPCNA, yeah. right by Geneva College, the one that I attended um, while I was in college. So there's a, an RP church being filmed there. We recorded his vocal part in the sanctuary Ooh, there. Nice. So yeah, Lovely. that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's definitely two of my two of my favorites, but oh. it's it's hard to pick as you guys both. No. <laughs> I'm also gonna make you make a difficult decision and ask you, what's your favorite hymn? In Christ Alone. 
Right. <laughs> okay, that was easier than I thought it was going to okay. be. <laughs> it is the gospel. If if you have any questions mm-hmm. as a non-believer or even just as a believer that needs to be reassured, that is like theology set to music yes. 101. Like it's, it's just so powerful. And gosh, I, I ugly cry every time. There's <laughs> no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. That yes. I need to be reminded of that yes. every day. So yes. yeah. yeah, that's that's an easier question. Than All right, I like that. Yeah, well, we do. We we have an episode on that song, and and I didn't realize how much I loved that song until. I, I knew I loved it, but when we actually did the episode on it, I was like, man, this is so good. Um, and yeah. that's something that we've discovered over the year that we've been doing this podcast that, you know, digging into the lyrics of some of these hymns is fantastic. Even more so digging into the Psalms as we sing them. This is, it's it's an un, it's an uncalculable amount of benefit that you could get from doing such a thing yeah. and singing it as a congregation is really quite special something that's mm. new to me not so new to Kara it's less new to Kara than it is to me and obviously you have a rich history in that as well so we're really excited that you came on the show and yeah. you gave us your background. And honestly, for those of you listening, if you have not, you need to go check out Psalms for Singing. It's available on all music platforms and other resources are available at MatthewDavidMontgomery.com. Be sure to check them out. And if someone wants to see you on uh, social media, where should they go? Uh, you can just look me up on Instagram, Matthew David Montgomery, or... Add me on Facebook, heckle. Accept your friend request. (laughs) Well, Matthew, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you both for having me. It's been a pleasure.